Star Wars Story Podcast, a podcast honoring the stories of Star Wars, the characters within them, and the people who love them. Today, we will be discussing The Phantom Menace, its most memorable attributes, and the documentary that was filmed during the making of the movie. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Delaney. I'm your other host, Brooklyn. And today, we are going to be discussing The Phantom Menace. Um, we our, are our first movie in our, I guess, rewatch of Star Wars as we go through. Yes, so we are watching them prequels through the original trilogy, through the sequel trilogy, obviously including the standalones in the mix as they fit. Um, and so this is our first one. And so we're just going to be discussing the movie itself. Um, some of its more memorable moments, some of our takeaways as we rewatch this movie um, as adults, and uh, also the documentary that was made um, during the filming of this movie, which is really, really cool. If you've never watched it, I highly recommend you watch it. It's really neat. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I really like behind-the-scenes content, personally. Um, I'm so a sucker good. for it. It's so it, good. Yeah, it's really, really, really cool. And you're not only getting, like, behind the scenes of, like, the the scenes that are being filmed, but you're getting behind the scenes of, like, the casting process and, like, the technology that they're having to make for this movie. And, like, you're getting a lot of really interesting content. So if you think, like, oh, this might not be for me because it's, like, you know, behind the scenes, like, scenes being filmed with just, like, a green screen, it's a lot more than that. So I highly yep. recommend that you to go watch this because it really 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 enhances your appreciation for this movie um so brooklyn i i say that we just get right into this movie and start at the very beginning um and start talking about the the beginning moments of this movie that are memorable to us (laughs) going chronologically yeah um I think that I this this movie when I was watching it it has like such an interesting beginning because I feel like I feel like with the new hope like with all of I don't know like the original trilogy I feel like you have like a much more action packed like beginning scene like New Hope it's like beginning of the saga is the first movie you start out with like you know a destroyer shooting at the ship and like everything's blowing up and all this stuff and I feel like this movie kind of starts like very peacefully and there is conflict but it kind of it just has a very different pace and a very different feel which I feel like separately sets the tone for the whole of the prequels because that is how like that is how the prequels are it's not as like I don't know I almost said gritty, but it is actually my least favorite word in describing anything now is when people are like, it's a gritty movie because it's the most misused and awful word in the history of the English language at this point. But the it just has a much different feel and a much more almost like peaceful conflict. And yeah. I, would, okay, I would say graceful. I would say graceful con- conflict. Yeah. You know, especially with the like introduction of the Jedi and their fighting style and all that you do get a much more like graceful rather than so much like I don't know shooting back and forth 
I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really love a lot of the scenes, and I know that this may potentially be controversial, depending on how you feel about this movie, but I really like a lot of the lines that we get from um, Jake Lloyd's character, Anakin, young Anakin. Um, I know that Brooklyn highlighted one at the very beginning um, of our little Google Doc that we have, which is, are you an angel? In which she says that to Padme upon seeing her for the first time. Um, It's like the first... I think it's so interesting because the reason I wrote it down was when I was watching it, like I was trying to watch it in, in a sense of like knowing that I was watching it chronologically, but also looking at it through the lens of like, if I had just seen the original trilogy, all I had to go off of was the original trilogy. What does this movie look like to me? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because I never really had that perspective as a child um like by the time I really had memories of Phantom Menace I kind of had memories of all of Star Wars and so there wasn't that separation and I think it's so interesting that we have you know Darth Vader who is not only the villain of the entire original trilogy but he is like one of the most iconic movie villains of all time and we know him as this like evil evil person who like he does get redeemed in the end, but, like, he's this evil person. And we know his name is Anakin Skywalker. Like, we know his we know his name before he was Vader. And that's all we know about him. And I think it's so interesting that, I mean, you get, he doesn't come into the movie until, like, it's about, like, 20, 30 minutes into the movie. And we, you know, we're just kind of exploring these new parts of the galaxy that we've never seen before. You know, we end up on Tatooine and just this little kid comes out who is so innocent and is so, you know, he, he just, he's, he's like a 10 year old kid. Like he is what he's supposed to be, you know? And his first line is, are you an angel? And then to immediately find out like, my name's Ant, like I'm Anakin Skywalker. And like the juxtaposition of that, of knowing you the tragedy of the prequels is that in every moment that you watch you know exactly how Anakin's story ends yeah he has one of the most famous like ending of his story of any character and so knowing that this small child who is you know amazed at this like you know beautiful girl who is like only a few years older than him like comes into you know his shop and he's like you you look so you're beautiful and he's 10 and he doesn't know how to use his words and he's a little bit awkward about it and like that is our introduction to the greatest villain of all time and I think that it is so interesting and humanizing and like that line just when I rewatched it it just really struck me of like how you 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 see where he was, but you also see just how far he fell. Yeah. Because this is where he starts. This is how we meet Anakin Skywalker, and we know where Anakin Skywalker ends. Yeah, and I also really love, and I mentioned this to Brooklyn earlier in conversation um, for a different reason, but I love the line 
I'm a person and my name is Anakin for two separate reasons. One is because I think it's hilarious to quote in the sense of, like, I'm a person who has often been referred to as, like, so-and-so, like, you know, like, oh, you're Luke's sister, oh, you're this person's granddaughter, or, and I think it's so funny to say, like, I'm a person and my name is Delaney, um, in response, and I probably am one of the only people that thinks that's as funny as I do, but it gives me a little bit of laughter, but I also love that Padme is, like, you, you and your mom are slaves, right? And his immediate response is he doesn't want to be viewed in that context by her. I don't really think he's really put up this much of a resistance to that label until now. And he says flat out, I'm a person and my name is Anakin. That's how I want you to refer to me, basically. Um, And I think that's really poignant. And I think that's really interesting that that's basically how their relationship starts. Their friendship is, you know, and... Padme alike too you know this is her this is her first time being seen as not the queen pretty much um and so they're both meeting each other as they really are which I think is really really cool and they have this moment where you know they are who they are in real life they're not wearing disguises they're not you know putting on a facade um and I think that's really important to their relationship oh, definitely. yeah I, I think that and I I love I love Jake Lloyd as Anna Kenneth he does a really really great job I I also think that just the way like I know that in canon the age gap is smaller but like the age gap between Jake Lloyd and Natalie Portman is kind of hard to gap especially in this movie but I think that when I was watching it again this last time, what really hit me is, like, in reality, what is there is this, like, this just deep connection between these two people who are both in situations that are, like, crazy outside themselves. You know, we have this, you know, Padme's, like, 14, and she's the queen of an entire planet, and that not only is on top of that, but she has, like, her planet is under siege, her people are dying, and she has, like, this entire response, and she's undercover. Like, she has so much on her plate. And, you know, when we see Padme as Queen Amidala, we see her in, you know, this full makeup, full dresses, full, like, there is so much theatricality to it, and, you know, there is a lot of purpose behind that. But in especially when they first meet and as they continue to have moments together, like in Anakin's house and on the ship and going forward, they really just continue to have these small human moments together in the midst of this like craziness that like they really have that. They're able to have that stability with each other during this craziness which for Anakin being a young boy having that with a girl who's a little bit older than him like you understand why that turns into kind of this infatuation with Padme which is where we see him when we get to Attack of the Clones but we also see that like for Padme and this is also something that is touched on in um Queen Shadow which is 
the book by E.K. Johnston that just came out within the last little bit that kind of covers Padme from leaving the queenship to becoming this, like, kind of in between the two movies. And she talks about, you know, like, the necklace that Anakin gives her, and she holds it, and she, like, has it with her for luck. And she really, like, in, for Padme, when she isn't with Anakin again, it is very just, like, a platonic, like, a very grounding thing, her relationship with Anakin. And I think that is, while, like, in reality, the age gap between them while watching can be a little bit strange. I think that, like, when you view it as, like, it really was this grounding, humanizing relationship that carried them through this, like, crazy period of time, then when they do come back together, you know, after 10 years of so much change, they're able, like, this movie is what makes the next two movies a reality. And I yeah, like absolutely. viewing it like that, I think, really helps. <clears throat> yeah absolutely um I I completely agree I also love the fact that Brooklyn specifically is <laughs> specifically mentioned in our google doc immaculate conception question mark question mark all caps why um because I, <laughs> I have so many questions I honestly, honestly, okay, sorry about the Immaculate Conception thing. I, The Phantom Menace is, and I, obviously I love Star Wars. I love all Star Wars. The Phantom Menace, and this, this is actually in and of itself kind of a hot take, but Phantom Menace is my, like, least favorite prequel and my least favorite, like, just kind of Star Wars movie as a whole. Like, Phantom Menace and Solo are both at the bottom for, for very different reasons but both kind of at the bottom for me. And I just don't, I really hadn't rewatched it very often at all. Mm -hmm. And there was like a day, it was like on Twitter or something that someone was talking about like Immaculate Conception. And they were saying something about like, I can't believe like, you know, they were, they were, and I was like, what is everyone talking about? I had legitimately forgotten hadn't realized, whatever, did not know that that was a thing. And this was, like, a little too recently for me to claim. <laughs> but, like, I was like, what are you talking about? What, like, what do you mean? Aunt? Like, of course you could have had a dad. And then I was watching, and I was like, I'm like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean they claimed immaculate conception? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just, uh, so it, it's so... It's so it's such an interesting choice. Um, yeah, it really never really gets followed up on in the movies, at least. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really interesting choice, and it I don't know. I feel like because we are, I think it's so interesting now viewing it through the light of now that we have the sequel trilogy, and we are so laser focused on lineage and parentage like we're so focused on that and uh-huh. I think that's why it comes up a lot more now because now parentage is in discussion and in discourse so frequently that obviously one of the most unusual parentage situations is Anakin's and his has to come up in you know in that conversation um and yeah, and I think that's I think that's a really interesting choice. Um, I 
haven't really given a ton of I'm not I'm neither for nor am I against it I'm very neutral about it personally um as with a lot of the moments in this movie I'm neutral um that's not to say that I hate it I do not hate it but yeah no I do not hate this movie at all it's just yeah what I kind of end up watching most yeah yeah no and I and for me it's the same this is my least watched prequel movie um but I still if it's on I still enjoy moments of it yep but yeah I think that's a really interesting choice and I think viewing viewing the parentage through the lens of 2019 and through the the lens of the sequel trilogy that we've gotten I think it changes the discussion a little bit because now we're so focused on oh definitely you know like like does parentage matter especially in relation to Ray like yep. can she be this person if her parents were truly nobodies like can that happen and the yes the answer is yes if anyone's wondering well, if any yeah if anyone's wondering the answer is yes but nobody stands so don't come at us <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, but I think I it's like, like with the ch- which almost I don't know. Fun fact, whatever the chosen like the chosen one prophecy is something that is referenced a lot, especially in Phantom Menace by Qui Gon, but throughout the rest of the prequels is this prophecy of the chosen one, which we never actually they never actually say what the prophecy is. The first time that it was ever revealed was just like last month in um master and apprentice which is claudia gray's novel which takes place before the events of phantom menace um and so spoil slight spoiler for that if you don't want to hear so just skip ahead a few seconds but in that one is the first time we hear the full text of the chosen one prophecy which is a chosen one shall come born of no father and through him will ultimate balance in the force be restored so the Immaculate Conception, in the sense of that, is key because that is what kind of triggers Qui-Gon. If, if that is what he is going off of, then, like, Shmi saying that Anakin has no father and that, you know, she just had him is definitely, like, a clue for him to be like, oh... I should probably, like, this kid might have the force, and he also might not have a father, and I know what that sounds like. But also, it's very interesting that that literally didn't come out until 20 years after The Phantom Menace came out. Mm-hmm. So, I don't, like, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously it's retroactive, because it's 20 years later, but, I yeah, I just think it's so interesting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely, definitely interesting. Um, Another thing that is integral to not only The Phantom Menace, but also the prequels, is midichlorians. And midichlorians are something that continue to be, I don't even know if I want to say controversial, but it's definitely one of those things where a lot of people are like, you either love them or you absolutely hate them. And honestly like prior to watching this movie prior to thinking about this episode I hadn't really (laughs) given much thought I'm just it's one of those things where I've just accepted it I'm like oh yeah okay cool these are a thing and I've just been like these are a part of the story like I really wasn't angry by it but I wasn't jazzed by it either um 
But I do think it's interesting that, I don't know, there's a way to test, like, supposedly there's a way to test somebody's, like, I don't even know, like, there's a way to scientifically show. The the concept of midichlorians, it's, which I understand, like, I kind of understand both sides of the argument. Because, like, in the sequel trilogy, the Force and the Jedi are very much, like, they're very conceptual. Whereas in The Phantom Menace, this is our first introduction to, like, what the Jedi are supposed to be. What the Jedi are supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Which, as we know, like, the more that canon has expanded, like, by the time we get to the Jedi in The Phantom Menace, like, they're already pretty far gone in terms of, like, their ability to, to access the Force. Like, they are really struggling, and, like, they, I mean, they're about to fall apart in, like, 13 years. Like, they only have, they, they're a ticking time bomb by the time we get to them in Phantom Menace. But it's our first introduction to, like, what does being a Jedi actually look like? Because mm-hmm. even with Luke, we don't get Luke as a Jedi. Like, he's not an actual Jedi until the last few moments of Return of the Jedi. So, like... We don't know what it looks like, especially what it looks like to have more than one Jedi. And so having, like, the Jedi Council and midichlorians, I can see how that could be jarring for people, especially since midichlorians make it seem so much more like a number on a scale kind of thing, rather yeah. than, like, you're, you're Force-sensitive, like, you have the Force, you, you know. yeah. It was much this more ethereal thing until it was like, oh, look, you can prick your finger and figure out how much, you know. It yeah. brought science to the mysticism that I don't think everyone appreciated. Yeah, and I I do think that it's not, I mean, like, it's definitely that. And I think it's also, it becomes less of, like, you know, it, like, the force is something that surrounds us, it binds us, it's, you know the balance and it's like oh like I you know I might not be force sensitive but like it's around us and you know I'm subsequently a part of it but then it's like with midichlorians it's like very exclusive where it's like you either are you you are you are you know what I mean like you're off the charts supposedly like Anakin or you don't have this high count meaning you will not be a successful Jedi essentially um so I don't really like, yeah, I don't like that it's exclusive in that way. Um, I guess I, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Um, it really, the only thing that comes to mind, this is like a really, this has nothing to do with Star Wars, but it makes me think of Theranos. You know what I'm talking about? Um, The Elizabeth Holmes thing um, that failed where she was like, prick your finger and they could figure out like a bunch of, they were supposedly supposed to be able to figure out like a bunch of like, uh like it like issues like with your health and everything and it ended up like being this completely like like she ended up like basically lying throughout like getting her getting funding getting all this stuff and it ended up being defunct and that's kind of like okay well scientifically I mean it's a great idea in theory I mean I know this is space science fiction and space fantasy and it doesn't have to align directly with you know a lot of the concepts that we currently know and love but I just think it's so, like, it's just an interesting, like, it's almost scary to me, (laughs) like, 
like anything that's like that where it's like oh we can test your blood and then we can see all its information like right. I mean, it's like a little a little daunting um a little terrifying a little I don't know I don't know how to explain it um but yeah definitely a little a little jarring um I love the question that Brooklyn mentioned to me um in this google doc and she wrote would the, saga, would the saga have changed if the prequels came first and she added additionally trusting an audience like you would have to trust the audience and can you end with Anakin being Vader yeah and I, I know that like so I, mean, I know that this is looking at the prequels as a whole rather than just the Phantom Menace but I was just I don't know why like that's just where my brain was at also, Delaney keeps, like, referencing this doc as if I put so much thought into it, but I was on- this is, like, a stream of my consciousness as I watched The Phantom Menace. So, okay. really, you're just getting insight into how my brain works. But- Do not undercut yourself. This doc is beautiful, okay? <laughs> if, if people who are listening to this could read this doc, they would say, yeah, this is intellectual, this is amazing, maybe, I love this. Maybe we'll put it up, I'll put it up on the Patreon, so that yeah, you can see. Yeah, let us, if you're a patron and you want to see this Google Doc, let us know. You can see the Google Doc and see how my brain works, <laughs> and yeah, it, it'll be just, a fun time. Yeah, if you, and if you're not a patron, become a patron, and then you can see this. Exactly. Um, anyway. Things. Anyway. Okay. We'll get, we'll get to that. We'll get to the plug at the end. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. We'll remember it this time. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was I, thinking, because, like, the prequels are so informed by the original trilogy. Yeah. They just are. They That is, like, the backbone of them. In the same way that you meet Anakin and you know his end. You know? Like, you know how this story ends. And so I think it's so, like, but these are before. Like, it's chronological order. Like, even doing, like, a prequel, as far as I'm aware, I think, like, it was a pretty new concept to go, like, back in time and, like, look at what became before kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's just, it is so, like... I mean, the way that Revenge of the Sith... I mean, Revenge of the Sith ends with Anakin becoming Vader. Like, that's how it ends. And it is... It's a a dark ending. And so, I just wonder if... If the prequels had been the start, like, can you end a three-movie trilogy that... And who's to say how... Because a lot of its success and hype came from it being Star Wars and came from the so who's to say if the prequels would have been the same like level in like our culture but if if it had even had like half of the impact that it had could you have this trilogy of movies that you end it with your main character turning evil and becoming this huge just a villain becoming a villain and yeah it's just the prequels are so i feel like when people have favorites and when they have you know i think there are people who have favorite star wars movies and ones that they love a little bit less and like that's fine people have their own tastes but there are also people who like to like 
dice it up and be like, these movies don't count. We don't like them. These movies we love and it's the only one we care about. And I think that, like, the way that Star Wars is and that Star Wars is built, it's that's impossible to do. You can't yeah. separate it from anything else. And I think that it, it is so interconnected. And I just, I don't know that you could pull Anakin becoming Vader if you didn't know that Vader's story eventually ends in a good place. Yeah, and you I didn't know yeah. his entire journey 20 years later. Yeah, and I also do like want to add to that additionally that you during the prequels, Anakin definitely has noticeable faults to his character and he definitely has things that are his downfall. But I feel like ultimately you want to root for him. You want to root that he doesn't become, you know, evil. That you want to root that him and Padme, you know, live this It's the tragedy of it is that you love these, you you learn to love him. And then despite knowing where he's going to go. Because you can't change yeah, so it's like, I feel like it would be obviously more palatable if you were watching a movie of someone who you knew, maybe, or not even that you knew would become the villain, but someone who would become the villain, but someone who you really were like, well, I don't, I'm not, I don't really care because, like, whatever, like, if they go bad, like, it's fine. But you really root for his character and you root for his relationship, and there's a lot of things that make you emotionally invested in this story and it that's what makes it all the more heartbreaking when you get to revenge of the sith and you see that ending and it's even though you know yeah vader eventually is redeemed um you know at the end of the original trilogy it's still heartbreaking to know that he's losing this woman that he loves he's losing these children um these two children that you know he was maybe potentially gonna father with her he's losing a lot he's losing basically everything he lost his mom he lost everything and that's horrible it's so sad and you're what and you go into this movie this the phantom menace seeing him as a kid so arguably in one of your most pure states you know in life like you're a kid you're you know have most most happy-go-lucky i guess but so and you know how this is going to end. So it's just really hard, I think, to reconcile. Like, you know what's going to happen, and yet you are trying to convince yourself otherwise that, oh, well, yeah. but he can't. Like, he can't, you know? And it's that it makes it hard to watch because you know what's going to happen. Um, I think that's a really interesting question. I, I don't know if you can end with Anakin becoming Vader because it's so, I don't know. I mean, like, it's dark. It's really it dark. Is. And, I, think I also I don't I don't think that you could I think that possibly the only way you could have done it is if like if the prequels had come first and then they like so instead of having it as like three and three which they still would have been broken up the same way but it would have been like Anakin is the, is the villain there are three more movies where we will continue to see his story. Yeah. Yeah, I it's like I'm glad that they did it how they did it because it really shows that redemption is a foundation of this saga. Hmm. I mean, we're not 
this is about the Phantom Menace, so we're gonna try and reel in our sequel trilogy hype. But I literally, you'll see in this Google Doc if you're a patron. I mentioned the sequel trilogy like ten times in this Google Doc while I'm watching the Phantom Menace. So well, because we're watching the very, I mean, chronologically in the timeline of which these events are happening, we're watching the very beginning and we are currently preparing to watch the very end at the end of this year. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that... Goodness, don't don't talk to me about the end. I'm sorry, but Brooklyn, there's some tough love love right now, okay? I'm just as sad as you are, but we got it. You're going to witness it with your own eyes. It's too hard, or else I will start crying. So it's fine. We're we're fragile, so be careful with us. Um, but yeah, I I don't think that it's completely unrelated to be watching this movie and immediately tie it to the sequel trilogy because we are watching because they're the all beginning. connected and they all affect yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I don't think that it's you know unrelated, but I definitely think it's interesting to be what you know every time a new movie comes out, it's so interesting to watch the Star Wars movies, even if you've seen it a hundred times and you watch it after another movie comes out, I feel like it shifts the way you view it. Oh, and yeah. and so watching this one after The Rise of Skywalker comes out is going to be very interesting. And I... I think that's a good I'm, mark of a good Star Wars movie is that after you watch it, it changes or at least like shifts your paradigm of how you view the others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it really does show you that they are all connected, which is really, really, really cool. And that is what makes it an amazing saga. And yeah, it's, it's incredible. And how can you not love it? Um, I think that, I don't know how we haven't really, really gone into it, into this character until this point in the episode. But um, let's really just give it up for Padme in this episode. Um, We love. We stand. Yeah, she's obviously an amazing character throughout the prequel trilogy, but especially in this movie, you get to see, you know, you get to see young Padme and young Padme not, you know, in the context that you're seeing her in the later two films. You're seeing her on Tatooine, not dressed like a queen yeah um and I think that's really 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 interesting I love her character Mm -hmm. I I love I love the handmaidens I love like good I love if you haven't read Queen Shadow like go read it it's so informative character it's so good also I'm just going to take a quick second and give you a timeline of when Padme is Padme and when Padme is not Padme because it took me like 22 years of my life to actually figure out in what moments Pat, which is kind of the point, but like, when is Padme, <laughs> when is she Sabe, which is her handmaiden that is like her decoy. Oh, and it's when basically in the beginning of the movie, before the Trade Federation are on Naboo, it's Padme. As soon as she's in like that black dress with like the feathery head set, that is now Sabe up until Coruscant. So everything that happens when they go, when they meet the Trade Federation, they meet Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, they 
land on, on Tatooine, you know, pod racing, up until they get to Coruscant. That is all Sabe being the queen, being the decoy for Padme. Because we know Padme is, you know, doing her whole thing with Qui-Gon on Tatooine. Once we get to Coruscant, then they switch back. And it's now, so when Anakin comes to say, like, goodbye to Padme, he is talking to Padme. Because he's talking to the queen, and she's now the queen. Because now she's in the Senate, and she's making these decisions for her whole people, and that's not something that Sabe would be, like, okay to do. And then once they get, once she... Jar Jar tells her, I noticed this when I was watching it, like, Jar Jar tells her that the Gungans have an army, and you can literally see, like, the gears going in her head, Mm -hmm. and, like, Jar Jar tells her that they have an army, Palpatine comes in, and is like, hey, BT dubs, I'm the new chancellor, what, what, you put me in power. (laughs) That's exactly how it went down in the movie. You do your thing, I'm gonna go back to Naboo. And everyone's like, what? And then, as soon as they go back to Naboo, then they switch back again. So once she's, like, kind of in more in immediate physical danger, and when she's not- doesn't have to make, like, executive decisions, is when they're switched. And, yeah, I just- I love- I love the whole decoy of it. If you read Queen Shadow, like, it really goes into depth of, like, how well they trained, how they, like, pulled that off. You also yes. see, like, all of Padme's outfits are actually, like, highly weaponized. So, like, she could defend for herself. She could, like, escape from her dresses very easily. Like, it's it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. This time. But, like, as they go back to, as they go from Tatooine back to Coruscant and they're going to, like, when, when she gives the whole speech and she's like, you need to come help my people, save my people, and they try to kind of deliberate a little bit more. And she oversteps and she says, like, I call for a vote of no confidence. I want a new chancellor. I want someone in power who will help my planet. We actually see in Queen Shadow that, like, while that was the right, well, I mean, it it was a move that she made. It was highly informed by Palpatine, who we know was manipulating her to put himself into power. But while she made that move, it actually was very like hard for her to overcome mm-hmm. when she like did leave her queenship behind to become a member of the senate because when she started to like be a member of the senate people like everyone kind of assumed that like that was her stance was like naboo over everything and she wasn't going to have the galaxy's interests in mind and so she had to like basically try to undo that moment with her like colleagues in the senate to like prove herself that like she would have everyone's best interests in mind because she was no longer the queen which i found super interesting yeah absolutely yeah she has a really interesting arc that you know obviously her story starts in this movie but i really like how you know, I mean, obviously we don't get to see a ton, and if you, like Brooklyn mentioned earlier, if you're craving more Padme content, if you haven't already read Queen Shadow, please go read it. It's amazing. Um, but 
yeah, I I really like how we see her character in this movie. And I think it's really, really cool to see, you know, she's really, really, she's young in this movie. And not only is she poised, and she is very, she's, you can see that she's respected by the people around her. And she's highly intelligent. And she is, I don't, I cannot say enough good things about her character, but she, for the age that she's at, you know, not, I don't think many other, I definitely did not feel poised and <laughs> all of yeah, the no, other attributes. Yeah, no, is 14, which, <clears throat> I mean, it does go into this in Queen Shadow as well, like, that is part of the culture of Naboo, is having a young girl as their, yes. like, ultimate ruler. It's very much a part of their culture. But... Like, Padme is so young, and, like, I mean, this also goes into, like, the whole, like, Natalie Portman and Jake Lloyd, like, age gap, but, like, Natalie Portman is, like, a little bit older than, kind of out of necessity in that, like, she was going to play Padme in in the space of, like, three or four years, she was going to play Padme and like, a ten-year age gap, so she had to be a little bit older than 14 to be... Padme in <laughs> Phantom Menace, and then, you know, she was a little bit younger than, you know, because Hayden Christensen is actually, like, um, he's actually older than, um, he's, like, a couple months older than um, Natalie Portman is, but even though she's, like, she plays that so well, of having, like, that just innocence, but strength, and yeah, I could just, I and that's such a powerful character for young girls to have. Like, not not in any way diminishing the strength that young girls can see from other female characters, but the fact that there is this young girl who's 14, she's a queen, um, she then goes on to be in the Senate. Like, she's doing all these incredible things at a really young age, and I find that really empowering. And I just love how they handle that. I love it so much. I mean, I could go on and on about Padme, but I digress. Um, I let's talk about Qui Gon for a second. Yeah, let's let's mention Qui Gon. Yes. Okay. So I'm not the hugest Qui Gon stan. I do think he. Um, I think he's a really interesting character. It's. Especially in terms of, like, the way that he views the Jedi and the Force. Like, I mean, we hear, like, Obi-Wan say, like, if you would just, like, stop kind of being a little bit, like, a little too rebellious, like, you would be on the council. Like, you would be one of the, like, you are one of the most powerful Jedi. You would be, like, one of the most, like, powerful Jedi in terms of leadership if you would just, you know, simmer down a little bit. And, like, take a chill pill. Which, like, I respect that as just a general mood. <laughs> but I I think that there is that really, like, I mean, I feel like the prequel trilogy could be summed up in just, like, what if. Like, it is a story of what ifs. That whole era is. You know, it's mm-hmm. what if, you know... Anakin doesn't become Vader. Like, what happens if, you know... And I think one of the, I think for me, one of the big ones coming out of The Phantom Menace is 
what would Anakin have turned out to be Vader if Qui-Gon had stayed his master? Not to say that Obi-Wan in any way wasn't a good master for Anakin. I mean, we have so much content about their friendship and like, and I love their relationship. But I think that like, there's a good possibility. But we also see that Obi-Wan is much more of a rule follower than Qui-Gon is. He's a, he's much more by the book and tries to kind of adhere to that like very strict Jedi philosophy. Whereas, whereas Qui-Gon doesn't. And I think that that could have been good for Anakin and, Mm -hmm. you know, could have potentially made the difference. And then it's the, you know, what if it's, we'll never know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm also not a huge Qui-Gon stan, and there's really, I say that in a very hushed tone, um, I, there's no particular reason, it's just for me personally, that character never really resonated with me, so that's my reasoning, and that's, I feel like that's a totally valid reason, I don't have to over-explain myself, but I do appreciate his character in the movie, because I think we get we get to see a lot of different types of Jedi. Um, there is not a one size fits all, and I think with his character we really get to see that. We get to see kind of an you know like he, him and Yoda kind of go head to head when it comes to Anakin, and I think that's really interesting. And I think that's really interesting not only to Qui Gon's character but also to Anakin's character, um, and Yoda I guess because he's involved. Um, but yeah, I I do appreciate the role he plays in this movie. Again, not like the biggest. It's not even that I'm not a fan of his character. It's just like if I had to rank my favorite Star Wars characters, he like would not be near the yeah. top for me. But and there, um, and there are people but, that like are huge Qui Gon fans. And like, yeah, hello. Yeah, um, the only one that comes to mind for me is Brian Balance, uh, yeah. co-host of the Diva Show. He's yes. the only one that I can think of, but yeah, I I know that there are people out there who love and respect his character, and I love and respect them for loving and respecting Qui-Gon, exactly. and, <laughs> and everybody has, there's so many things to connect with in Star Wars, which makes Star Wars beautiful, yeah. Um, but I, I don't even know if it feels right for me to say this, because Brooklyn wrote it, but Brooklyn, <laughs> I think you know. You think I think you know what I'm talking about, even though I'm like all over the place when it comes to this doc right now. But I, I (laughs) this movie is just another chapter in the saga of Yoda being an infuriating and like not actually helpful person. (sighs) Like poor Anakin has been taken from his home planet. He is like cold he doesn't know what's going on he's been promised that he's gonna be this jedi he doesn't know what's happening and then yoda like chews out this like 10 year old child and is like um i'm sorry you shouldn't miss your mother and like oh i like yeah. the Je- i feel like so much of where the jedi failed anakin because while i i mean Anakin commits some incredible crimes and will continue to during his time as Vader and he has full responsibility for that 
but you cannot deny the role that the Jedi played in getting him to that point. Yeah. And I think so much of that was a lack of compassion and understanding for Anakin's trauma and for Anakin's just intense emotions. And I, I, I just, I, I feel so much for Anakin. I, I have a whole thing that I, I want to talk about when we get to attack of the clones, because I see it much more there than in anywhere else. But I have my own like headcanon that Anakin is ADHD because I mean, it's me pushing my own diagnoses onto people because I have ADHD, (laughs) but that is something that is very common with ADHD kids is that you, you feel emotions very strongly and you can get very easily overwhelmed by emotions, which is something that we see happen in Anakin a lot. And for someone to just say like, why are you having that? Like, you know, he, he just says that he misses his mother and like, Anakin is like, what, what's the matter with missing my mom? Like that is a normal human reaction. And Yoda jumps straight to like being a Sith. (laughs) And I just, the child is 10. He's trying to process. We need to let him process. If that's the qualifications for being a Sith, then sign me up because, like. Like, yeah, it is. Like, I'm sorry, but. Yeah, I just, I, I, I feel very much for Anakin in that moment, just trying to process all of these overwhelming things and then being told that, like, having those feelings is not only like something you shouldn't do, but it is something that will lead you down a terrible and horrible path. And I think that that isn't necessarily true. Having emotions doesn't lead to, doesn't automatically lead to evil. I think that not processing your emotions correctly can lead to that. Yes. And I think that the irony of the Jedi is, like I said, like by the time we get to them in Phantom Menace, they're a ticking time bomb. Like they are far from the ideal of what Jedi should be. And in that they are not equipped and they don't help Anakin channel his emotions and his feelings the way that they should be channeled. And it turns into just pure repression, which turns into the behavioral issues that we see with Anakin as we continue through the prequel trilogy. And it starts yeah. right here with Yoda, with him saying, I miss my mom. And Yoda saying, cool, well, you're like half a second away from being a Sith then. <laughs> and like, it's like those questions when you're like being diagnosed for something and Yoda's like, okay, so answer me this. Do you miss your mom? And Anakin's like, yeah. And you're like, oh no. This like you've checked down. all of these boxes and it's like, no, please. <laughs> you've, checked, no. You've, checked all, you've checked all one of these boxes. Right, you're not, um, you could possibly have. Ugh, guys, get Yeah, it. like oh, it's, it literally makes me think of that. And <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand. Like, sorry that you don't see the connection that this kid has to the only other person that he's ever really had a connection with in his entire life. Yep. Like, sorry, but okay. Yeah. Like there Um, is definitely, there's definitely a lot of truth and a lot of good to be found in the Jedi philosophy, but the way that it is enforced upon Anakin, I think does him much more harm than it ends up doing him good. 
Yes. Um, I am going to mention, I'm going to quote this verbatim because I did not write this. Brooklyn did. So I just want everybody to know that Brooklyn was the one who wrote this. But I also would like you to picture this as I'm saying it. <laughs> As it, I want you to picture it being written in all caps. So just picture this being written in all caps. And this is Brooklyn's quote that she wrote, which I think is very poignant. And yes, we're talking about the sequel trilogy again, because why wouldn't we be? Yes. Um, why wouldn't we be talking about the sequel trilogy in an episode dedicated to the Phantom Menace? Why? It's fine. We have a brand and it's fine. Yeah. This is, and I quote, all caps, weird how no one asked how a slave child learned how to fly so well, but a literal scavenger who spent her life around and on ships knows how to fly. And I literally, like, my jaw dropped when I read that because that (laughs) is, like, so, so, like, just an incredible assessment to make. And granted... I love it. I mean, I guess if you really wanted to, you know, be nitty gritty about it, you could say, well, Anakin, you know, built C-3PO and he, like, did pod racing. But if you're going to- Ray has just, like, the same, if not more, experience with flying than as Anakin does. I'm just saying, I just watch, like, watching him, you know, he's 10 years old! And it's like, yes, we're going to let him fly! We're going to bet the fate of, like, our lives and like our lives that are affecting a lot of other people's lives on this kid who we're trusting to know how to fly he gets onto ships and like he's this curious little kid and people are like oh here I'll teach you how to do this like I'll answer all of your questions here and like but when Ray starts flying it's a Mary Sue with she's a Mary Sue when she knows what to do in the Falcon's cockpit I would want to warn you now if you say that Ray is a Mary Sue to my face I <laughs> might actually murder you so just this is your warning don't what ever say happened? don't ever say that we didn't warn you like just yeah. don't ever say that don't um say- so I and I specifically Brooklyn mentioned this but I googled it and I found it um but I want to mention the tweets that were exchanged between this guy and Ryan Johnson about the term Mary Sue, just because we're talking about it right now. And because it has been in the discourse, if you're on Star Wars Twitter, you know that it's been in the discourse. Also just raving a Mary Sue is something that like people have written articles about and for some reason are still writing articles about whether or not Ray is a Mary Sue. Like, I see them on my Facebook. Like, they are, it it is, goes beyond just the realm of Star Wars Twitter and just, you know, random trolls. Like, it is a thing that people are seeing as an actual intellectual piece of discourse. Yeah, so we have, we have this tweet by C. Robert Cargill, and it says, Mary Sue is a term that gets abused as, quote, woman who does something unexpectedly awesome, end quote, when it specifically means, quote, character who never fails when trying and is always better than all of the other exceptional characters around them, end quote. And Ryan Johnson, director of The Last Jedi, responded and said, it is impossible to separate the term from its bad faith use. The term itself is rooted in sexist bullshit. It needs to die. And I just want to say, to use that quote from The Last Jedi, it's it's time for the term Mary Sue 
it's time for it to end, okay? Um, let's stop doing it. Let's stop undercutting the stories of women who are strong. Um, I know that this is about the Phantom Menace, but it relates to what we, we were doing. We can close that, but that was, that was my thought when, like, Anakin's doing all this fun flying thing, and I was like, listen, child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and really not, I mean, like, very, very barely related but I also just want to mention because we are talking about pod racing even ever so slightly I love and I know this is like a fan favorite line or maybe it's not maybe I'm maybe I'm just imagining that but I love the line we get from Kitster um where we get the line this is so wizard Annie I love the fact that wizard (laughs) is like a slang term in Star Wars um I absolutely am obsessed I just love it so much and that to me is like I don't know what I don't know what it says about me to say that that's like one of my most memorable moments like that's what I that's one of the things I think of when I think of this movie but I am like just a sucker for fun slang terms in movies and I just love that I love it I love it so so much um Maybe a little too much, but I really love it. But it's okay. Um, yeah. I do say with Padme, something that I, I a, a line that I really stuck out to me was when she's just, when she has decided to go back to Naboo, she's telling Palpatine that she's going to leave. She's going back. She says, I didn't put down the exact quote, but she says something along the lines of like, the democracy is broke. Like she, she has seen by being in the Senate the democracy is broken and it, like it's not working the way it's supposed to work and that's why she's going to go home because she's going to need to do it by herself and i think that that line is so interesting in the context of the next two movies where she becomes a member of the senate and she becomes a member of this body that she knows isn't working the way that it's supposed to and she knows that it is broken and that just shows so much of the strength to her character and we I mean we still see this when we're in when we get to the movies but we see it like in the Clone Wars we see it in the Queen Shadow that Padme's youth and her like young blood can be seen as a downfall by other senators she can get kind of looked down upon in combination that she is a woman and that she is so young but that young blood that she uses is her strength and it gives her the fight that she needs and it allows her to have like have that perspective and just thinking about it like especially in like today's political climate I see a lot of that like I don't know, Padme energy in, like, in this last election cycle in the midterms, like, we had a lot of young women, women of color, like, new, new blood come into America's democracy, you know, people like, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like, people who are coming in who have an understanding of this system being broken, and that the system isn't working the way that it's supposed to. You know, if anyone has read anything about America right now, like, we're not doing so hot. But there are people who understand that while this system is broken, it doesn't have to be, and that we can work towards it. And, I mean, people often, they're... 
there is a sense for some people that Star Wars and politics don't go hand in hand, but literally, I mean, George Lucas <laughs> wrote these movies as I mean, look at the prequel trilogy. It is just full of political commentary, political action, political like politics is what the prequels are about. And he like a lot of what happens in the prequels is what's happening right now. And especially within like, you know, just governmental systems. Not just in America, but like just that's what's happening. And I think it's so interesting that Yeah. That's what we're doing. Absolutely. I it's so so political. And just because it doesn't exactly look like how our current politics look does not mean that it's not political. You can see the ties, um, yes. for sure. And yeah, I think it's a really interesting commentary on that too. Um, I love that you mentioned AOC and Padme together. I love that comparison. I love I love that comparison. Um, I really, really, really love it. Um, I really like and I know we've already touched on this, but I really like how, yeah, we, in the original trilogy, we really don't, I mean, we, our, our understanding of the Jedi is basically, like, Obi-Wan, and then Luke, and Yoda. That's, like, pretty much, like, our fundamental understanding. And so those are, like, how we're viewing this entire group of people. And with the prequels, we really see, we really get to largely understand what the Jedi was intended to be, what it became. And I think that's a real, I think that's so interesting to, you know, even if you've seen the original trilogy, to watch those movies, watch these movies, watch the, the prequel trilogy, and then go back and watch the original trilogy. And it all starts to make sense. And it all starts to click. Mm-hmm. And it starts in this movie. It the commentary on the Jedi starts in this movie. Yep. And it's so interesting. And I I love that. I really I really do love that because yeah, it really I mean, it does make it more scientific, more quantifiable, and I can see where people do not like that. But it really it's it it becomes less mystical in a way and it becomes more concrete, more of like these are the character traits you have to embody and these are what you have to avoid rather than what we really see I feel like in the original trilogy I feel yeah. like it's not as heavily that those things are not as heavily emphasized in those movies exactly um, with with the Jedi in this something that I just I always have questions about something a big emphasis with the Jedi in the prequel trilogy is this bringing the balance to the force is this idea of like that's what the chosen one is all about that they will bring the balance and they will be here and be able like they will bring it all as one yep and my question always is like first of all why are there only two sith why like it's <laughs> like why is that a thing why is that the rule like i get the whole like darth plagueis story thing like they can only be two but like that seems like a very arbitrary rule made by one dude. I feel like it shouldn't be the whole thing. But <laughs> the idea of like, just to me, balance means like, I mean, we hear Luke say it in The Last Jedi. 
that, you know, powerful light, powerful dark. Like, the balance to the force should be, you know, that's, like, in at least as we understand balance in the force, like, balance is, you know, a 50-50. That's what it should be. You know, we see that in the sequel trilogy where, you know, you know, Snoke says, you know, darkness rises in the light to meet it. Like, you have, you know, having, like, in a way, the force balanced out Kylo's strength with having Rey being so strong in the light. And this, which I think that both of them are a better example of balancing light and dark within themselves. But this whole, like, the Jedi are so, like, I think that they're very, like, one-sided, like, one, they have a very one-track mind about it, that I feel like to the Jedi, having balance means no Sith, and having balance Mm -hmm. means, like, a restoration of their power, which, as we hear, you know, as we go through that the Jedi have, like, that's a line in Attack of the Clones that, like, they don't have the access to the Force that they used to. And I feel like for the Jedi, the way that they're seeing it as a council, which goes to show where they're at, like, balance to them means, like, to me, if there's only two Sith, then there should be only two Jedi. Because that's what balance means. Are, like, are the Sith that much more powerful that it takes thousands of Jedi to equal two Sith? If so, we should probably never have beaten them ever, because that's insanely powerful. But, like, I don't know. I just think that the the idea of balance to the Force feels slightly flawed to me in that I think that, again, coming back to the sequel trilogy, that Rey <laughs> finds, like, a very good balance in that, like, she acknowledges that darkness and the pain and the trauma that she has in her life and still chooses the good and still has that, like, motivation Whereas I don't feel like that's not what's happening with the Jedi, which is part of what leads to their downfall is that, you know, they're, they're trying to achieve that, which cannot be achieved in the balance of the force. And I just, I don't know that it, I think that the the premise of the situation is flawed. And by trying to achieve it, I feel like a, a test and like adds to their eventual failure. Yeah, Absolutely. And I don't think this would be a Phantom Menace episode if we did not mention Duel of the Fates. Um, oh, goodness. Like, or or <laughs> Maul in general, because we actually yeah, haven't yeah. touched on Maul yet. Yeah, we haven't mentioned Maul at all. Which, I have to say, like, Maul is such an interesting presence in this movie. <clears throat> in that, like... He doesn't have a lot of lines. He doesn't talk a lot. Like, you really feel his presence in the Duel of the Fates, which is, like, his entrance with the, like, dopest music entrance ever. Like, not just in Star Wars. Like, it's just so cool. And, like, that whole fight where we actually get to see him fight. I think that that goes further. I, But it's also interesting because, like, Maul comes back in... Clone Wars, in Rebels, in Solo, like, it is, yeah, he's such a huge presence. But this, this fight is so, 
Also, side note, back to Ray. I know that we know that she doesn't have one because we've watched the trailer, but I will always be a double rated a double bladed Ray lightsaber stan for life. Like I wish <sighs> she like she fights with the staff. She can fight with the double sided lightsaber. Like bring it back. That would have been so cool. But it's, yes, <laughs> it's fine. I guess. Yeah. And I think one of the last things I want to mention if we're specifically talking about the movie, is I do want to mention Jar Jar Binks and Ahmed Best, the person yes. who portrayed Jar Jar Binks. And I love this character. I really, I truly do. I truly love this character. And I love the person who portrays this character. I love Ahmed Best. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I just want to be able to say, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I love the addition that his character, you know, I love the fact that his character for me has added to this ever expanding saga. And yep. I love his interactions with Padme. I love, I just love everything that we get from him in this trilogy. And I don't think, I mean, I know that you know, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of this movie this year, and we are seeing a lot more prequel love, but I just want to be out, you know, outright and say that I have a deep, immense love and respect for both Jar Jar Binks and Ahmed Best, and I do not think that this movie would be as good, nearly as good, without his character in it. Oh, and yeah. I just I just, I have to say that before we move on to the next portion, because I, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Oh, yeah. Um, I just, my, my last thing I want to say about the fan, the movie itself, before we, like, get into a couple of nuggets from the um, documentary, is that with the Duel of Fates and Maul, we have, you know, we have Qui-Gon, and then we have Obi-Wan, who eventually, you know, famously cuts Darth Maul in half, and just when I was watching it, I, 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 I think so much when in terms of the Jedi so much of what I think about is the way that they express emotion the way that they approach expressing emotion and just when I was thinking about it nearly every significant move for good made by like one singular Jedi on their own has been highly informed by their emotions we Mm -hmm. have Obi-Wan versus Maul the way that he the way that he is able to beat Maul is because of that passion and that grief that he's feeling watching Qui-Gon die and using that to empower his own lightsaber skills and his own power within the force to beat Maul. We see that with Luke versus Vader. Like, he's able to overcome Vader when, you know, his his protective instinct comes out, you know, when Vader threatens Leia. And he's able to, you know, put it on that. And, like, we see Vader beat Palpatine when Vader is informed by, you know, his emotion and his connection to his son and watching his son suffer. He is able to find the strength to, you know, defeat Palpatine. You know, when Finn and Rey both fight Kylo in the forest they have you know they're fueled by the loss of Han Solo when Kylo is going versus Snoke he's fueled by 
you know, and he kills Snoke, which then leads to, you know, Rey and Kylo defending themselves against the guards, that it is because of, you know, the emotion that Kylo feels, which Kylo feels emotion so strongly, that informs his ability to kill Snoke and finally overcome his abuser. And I think that I just, I, the Jedi's approach to emotion is so flawed in places. And I think that this is one of them, the idea that we should repress emotion or repress something that we see when it informs our decisions. And when we use it for our good, it has been used for good by the most, you know, pure of Jedis. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just so like, you can use emotions like grief and fear and anger for good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, that's, that really sums it up. I really like that as the ending to <clears throat> our discussing the actual movie. But we do want to mention the documentary. <clears throat> There's oh my God. really great here. We'll just touch on it quickly. Yeah, it's the documentary that was made not only, it was like pre-production, during production, like you see the casting process, you see... Yeah, you see a lot. Um, it's literally called The Beginning. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's really incredible. Um, not only for The Phantom Menace, but it really just sets the tone for, you know, what it was like to be creating these movies at the time, because obviously they weren't just create, they weren't just in the mindset of, we're just going to create one movie. Yeah. So I, there, there, was, really there was a quote that George Lucas said that he basically, he had this, these whole ideas for the Phantom Menace for the entire prequel trilogy, and he had them up on storyboards, and he was basically like, I mean, he's not just pitching, because he's George Lucas, he's telling people like, this is what's going to happen in this movie. And you just see, like, people who are like, they're still at Lucasfilm, probably because they, you know, pulled it off. But they, it's not just that, like, they didn't, like, it was kind of on, like, cutting edge. Like, there literally was not technology to do what George Lucas was asking. And, like, not only did they not have the technology, like, they didn't even have anything to be, like, I have no idea how long this will, like, I can't give you an estimate of how long this is going to take because we don't even know how to get the technology to start making it. It reminds mm -hmm. me a lot of, um, I love the Lord of the Rings and I yeah. love the Lord of the Rings behind the scenes disco discovery. It's like so good and so in depth and it was made about around the same time. Yes. As the Phantom Menace. And they were also doing like really, really cutting edge stuff. Like Lord of the Rings, like they created the CG technology that allowed people to like manipulate fire in a computer like program rather than like having to film fire and put it over something. Um, and so it was that same kind of energy of like, we literally don't know how to do this. And so we're going to start it. And so it was kind of, it was, it was at a point where someone was pitching him and being like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how long it's going to take. Like what you're kind of asking is a little bit logistically impossible. And George Lucas, this, this was his quote was the real point is how can we manage to change the operating procedures in a way that we can completely revolutionize the way we make movies so that this is all doable. Because it's not just that we have to do it for this picture. We have to do it for two more pictures. And if this picture works, everyone is going to want it done for their picture. 
And like George Lucas has always had such a visionary mind. And in that he has always had such a perspective of like, he knew, you know, if, if we can nail it, like a, we have to nail this for ourselves because we have committed to this and we're doing this. And I know that it's going to change the, and it did like, I know that people, there's this whole, you know, Especially something with like the sequel trilogy and a lot of the stuff that is like in the new Disney era, something has that has been emphasized is like, oh, we're using practical effects, which Sky Talkers has touched on before, that when people say they're using practical effects, what they mean is, don't worry, we're not doing the CGI that you saw in the prequels. But like, A, it still holds up pretty well. It's still really good. On top of that, like, it really is that cutting it like the they were creating this technology to make this movie and to make the entire prequel trilogy. And it's just so cool and inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that that ties into um, one of the main CGI feats of this movie, which is Jar Jar. (laughs) And Jar Jar pre-CGI is something. Um... It's, <laughs> it's actually so terrifying. It is the scariest thing. Like, they had, like, this puppet. They had this, like, animatronic, like, thing that, like, somebody was, like, putting on their face. And, like, every step before full CGI of Jar Jar Binks was a nightmare. It looks yeah. so bad. Not just, like, bad. Yeah. Like, not even bad. It just looks terrifying. And, like, yeah. I, like, I don't care if, like, I mean, I do care. You really shouldn't. But, like, bad mouth, like, Jar Jar CGI, all you want. First of all, it still holds up. It looks really good. He looks seamlessly in the movie. It is an amazing accomplishment. And also, looking at where they started, that is amazing. Because yeah. uh, it was terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think, you know one of the main things too that's not necessarily related to the movie but you get to see in this documentary is the friendship between George Lucas and Steven Spielberg um because Steven Spielberg is you know has a very close friendship with George and yeah, they've done a lot of producing together they like came up with Indiana Jones together like it's they've yes. always had a good but oh, it's so pure yeah it's really cool to see that kind of behind the scenes content too I mean even though it's not necessarily you know like I mean they are going over you see I believe there's a shot of Steven seeing the battle droid design um if I'm not mistaken um and uh them talking about that and I just really think even though it is related to the movie you get to see their dynamic which is really really cool um yeah like just that that duo of like just like part like creative partnership is responsible for so much of our culture oh yeah last like 40 years it's insane yeah that's that is so wild um yeah absolutely do you have anything else you'd like to add about the documentary brooklyn i don't think so i covered like kind of the two little nuggets i wanted to touch okay so um, I guess we will not forget to promote <laughs> our social media because last time I had to 
retroactively like go in and re-record um I know we got the last the last episode we recorded we recorded it and I had to like immediately go pick up my mom and take her to the airport and so I was like driving somewhere like 10 minutes after we like closed like we stopped recording and I texted Delaney and I was like we did not plug our social media (laughs) so (laughs) to not make that same mistake the same time if you'd like to go find us on social media we are at ASWS underscore podcast which is our podcast Twitter. I am at Delaney Organa. I literally just changed my handle back. So if you listen to last week's episode, listen to this episode as well because I changed my handle again. And Brooklyn, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Brooklyn Bound and the O's are zeros, just like it's always been. And do you want to mention our Patreon? Yes. Yeah, so if you listened to last week's episode, you know that we have launched our Patreon. Um, and if you would like to become our patron, there are lots of cool things that you can do at the different tiers, things that you can receive from us. Um, if you're a patron at any level, you will get your name read at the end of the podcast, which is what I'm about to do. Um, it's just patreon.com slash a Star Wars story podcast. Go join us, get our fun, exclusive content. You'll get to see the insanity that is this Google Doc. You will get to lots of really fun things. You'll get Patreon-exclusive episodes. You can even guest on the podcast if you want to. And, yeah. So, I would like to thank our first two patrons, Greg and Nick. And thank you so much for being our patrons, and we're so grateful for you. Yes, we are. We are very grateful. Thank you so much for literally pledging your support to us. It means the world. Yes. Um, And I think the only right thing to ever say, to ever close our podcast, is may the force be with you. May the force be with you. 